Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. This is an encore presentation of Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Well, if you've been observing the pre-festive fast leading up to the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, you only have one more day to observe it. If you've been real faithful to it, it is voluntary. We've talked about it in our program before. It is voluntary, but of course, anything voluntary, we highly urge everyone to partake of. It's good for our spirituality. So prayer and fasting is always good. Penance is always good. And that's the norm leading up to any major feast in the Eastern churches. And that major feast, of course, this week is Saints Peter and Paul. So we have one more day to observe the fast. And hopefully you also included the sacrament of confession in your penitential period. That's the most important thing of all. And speaking of confession, just a couple of points on that from the Eastern perspective. You hear me encourage confession during the penitential seasons, which basically are four major ones in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We are in one of those that's concluding now, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Leading up to that is a penitential season. We always do penance prior to something major, a major feast day. The idea is that we prepare by cleaning house, cleaning our souls, cleaning up our lives, and confession is absolutely essential to that. Four times during the year we recommend confession, but that's not the only time. We also recommend going to confession anytime you believe you need it. There's no rule in terms of regularity, but you can develop that on your own. It can be once a month. It can be every week. The popes, sometimes they claim that the popes went every day, or certainly every week. One might wonder, well, my goodness, what do they have to confess? Well, the more we use confession— the more deeply self-reflective we are, and therefore the more aware we are of our sinfulness, our imperfections, our voluntary and involuntary sins, as we say in the Eastern churches, our transgressions. You see, there's ways in which we offend God and go against the order of creation, and we hurt one another, we hurt the community. There are ways we do that in ways that may not be completely purposeful. We don't necessarily will to sin. 
or to hurt anyone or to offend God. But we do things that end up being hurtful or offensive because we share in that general fallen aspect of our nature from original sin. That's primarily what it means in the Eastern churches to have original sin. It means we have the effects of it. We're born into a world that has fallen, so we can never really do everything, anything perfect. There's always going to be some downside to anything. And so we may have the best of intentions, and we didn't intend anything ill towards anyone or towards God, but we end up doing it anyway in various levels and degrees. And so confession is a way of writing that, correcting that, of healing even that, even things that we necessarily did not intend to do that were sinful. So confession is a very good practice for self-reflection. It keeps us honest about ourselves and honest before God and honest before the church, because when we go to confession to a priest, we are confessing to the church, the community, as well as to God. That's the whole point of going to a priest. So it gets us right before the community and before God. And when we are more self-reflective, we actually end up growing in holiness. So little things become bigger things for us because we're striving towards perfection. Now, we're not talking about being scrupulous or neurotic. We're just talking about a heightened, an increasingly heightened awareness of our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness, in contrast to God's greatness, God's holiness. You see, this is what the saints had, and especially those that went to confession often. It wasn't that they thought of themselves as being so terrible in and of themselves. It was their heightened sense of God, their deep awareness of God that simply shed greater light on the darkness of their own being. Even if it was small, we would call small. We might wonder, what possibly could a pope do every day or every week that he would go to confession? Well, it's not so much what they do or don't do. It has to do with their increased awareness of God and of themselves in light of that great God. And that then brings to mind and motivates us to look at and confess, fess up to our own unworthiness in whatever ways they are. So, Sin and confession, especially Eastern practice, is not just enumeration of offenses. It has also a lot to do with where we are at spiritually, where our closeness to God is. We say in the Eastern churches that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and our calling on this earth is an ongoing growth into the image and likeness of God, of being more authentic, more and more of that image and likeness. And there are many ways in which we are not there we become aware of that. And so confession is a way of not only just the enumeration of sin, but a growing awareness of our general sinfulness in light of a growing awareness of the greatness of God, of his love and mercy, and who we are in relation to him. That's why the story of the public and the Pharisee is such a popular one in the Eastern churches. In fact, it's one of the themes of the Sundays of Lent, because the publican came into the church just with that general awareness of his unworthiness in light of so great a God. And he just kept saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't necessarily enumerate sins. He had something even greater than that, a deep and general awareness of his sinfulness, of his lowliness, 
in light of God. Now, it's very important to understand it that way. It's who we are in light of God, in contrast to God, in comparison to God, not just that we're bad in and of ourselves, but in comparison to God, we are so lowly and so in need constantly of God's mercy and forgiveness. That's why in the Eastern churches, you notice one well, of the hallmark prayers in our church is the constant, constant supplication, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. In fact, many people, when they characterize the Eastern churches, they will often say, oh, yes, yes, you're the ones that say, pomiloi." that's Slavonic for, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, because we say it often in the liturgy. That's because of that awareness of our general sinfulness. So when we go to confession to a priest in the Eastern churches, it has a lot to do with healing. It's like going to a doctor. People don't like to go to a priest. They sometimes feel kind of embarrassed or squeamish, or they might even say, well, why should I confess to another man? Well, it's a lot like going to a doctor. Think of the priest as a physician, because confession is about healing, because sin is sickness, sickness of the soul, which manifests itself oftentimes in sickness of the body, of the whole person. So we're going to the doctor, the spiritual doctor. And in order for the doctor to help us, we have to tell him what's wrong with us, right? We have to tell him what hurts, what's not right. So we're not so embarrassed to say that to a physical doctor, right, a physician. So we have to think of it that way so it's easier for us to say it to a spiritual physician, that being the priest. And just like the doctor, the priest is there to help us, not condemn us, but to help us. Sometimes, yeah, he has to admonish us just like a doctor. doctor has to say, hey, you're putting on too much weight or you're eating too much sugar. He does that to help us heal. Same thing with the priest. He may have to admonish us a bit, but basically he's there as a spiritual guide and as the presence of Christ in the church through whom and through which forgiveness comes. That's why in the traditional way of confession in the Eastern churches, the penitent ideally into the church stands facing the icon of Christ, which is on the icon screen, you know, that decorative wall with the doors on it that separates the sanctuary from the nave. And the priest stands also with the penitent in front of the icon of Christ, but he stands perpendicular to the icon. The penitent faces the icon straight on. The idea being is that we are confessing primarily to Christ, but through the church. And that's also emphasized by the fact at the end of confession, when the priest pronounces the words of absolution, he takes his stole, which we call an epitrachial in the Eastern churches, he takes that and he puts it over the head of the penitent and puts his hand on top of that and then pronounces the words of absolution, which have a passive dimension to them. The priest says, by the power given me, though unworthy, I forgive you. In other words, it's God in the church forgiving you, not the priest himself personally. He is the medium through which the forgiveness comes. He's just like a doctor. A doctor is a medium. It's the medicine or the therapy, the change of lifestyle and so on that actually heals us. Well, ultimately, it's Christ who heals. A good doctor is simply practicing Christ. Christ is the ultimate healer. He is the divine physician. So it is Christ who heals, physically and spiritually. The church forgives and heals as well, but with Christ, and Christ through the church. And that's why the priest stands as he does in the Eastern form of confession and says the words that he does and does the gestures that he does. He is the medium through which healing and forgiveness come. Confession is also advisable, especially when we are having major difficulties in our lives, such as a great deal of anger or 
addictions? Because there is no healing despite all the great therapy in the world. And if we need therapy, yes, we should avail ourselves of it. But even the greatest therapy in the world will not be totally effective without that spiritual dimension, without that spiritual healing, that forgiveness, that reconciliation, that act of the will to change my life, to make amends. When we come back, we're going to talk more about confession in the Eastern Catholic Churches. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card with your help. We can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyola. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other Bold Talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click Subscribe. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. This is an encore presentation of Light of the East. We're talking about the sacrament of confession, especially as it leads up to a great feast, which is coming up in just a couple of days, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Again, the traditional way to prepare for a feast is to clean house. And the best way to do that is by confession. Confession in Eastern churches, as I mentioned, has on the part of the priest a passive dimension to it. He's active only in the sense of offering guidance, spiritual direction. In the West, they tend to call this penance. In the East, the penance dimension of confession is not as emphasized as much. We can perhaps call the guidance that the priest gives as a penance. In other words, it does make up, it does heal, it does help to reconcile, but it's not so punitive per se, as it is in the West. Now, again, in comparing, I'm not saying one is better than the other. We never say on this program that one thing is better than the other, or one way is better than the other. They're just complementary. They're just different ways of arriving at the same place. So, in the West, there is a little more of a legal or punitive dimension to, to light confession, of the East. which is fine. Father Thomas In the East, the emphasis, and again, it's always a matter of emphasis, the emphasis is more on the healing, on the spiritual direction. The priest acts more like a medium and a spiritual director in the confessional. And he will often tell the penitent to do, he will often tell the penitent to do something, which may sound like a penance. I guess it can qualify for that in many ways. But the idea is to amend their life, to make adaptations and changes after an act of their will, to overcome and move beyond the sin. But there's also, there is a little less lateral movement to confession in the process of holiness and healing as there is in the Eastern perspective. The Eastern perspective is a little more spirally. It's not so much making direct step-by-step progress. The East acknowledges that progress can sometimes be a bit spirally, you know, sometimes two steps forward, one back, or you may not be in a perfectly straight direction towards holding this overcoming something. 
So this is why confession is recommended. In many Eastern churches, especially in the Orthodox churches, it's often the practice that they say you cannot go to Holy Communion unless you have first gone to confession. Now, that is not common to all Eastern churches, both Orthodox and Eastern Catholic, but it is more common in Eastern Orthodox churches. It's oftentimes why you don't see as many adults going to Holy Communion in some Orthodox churches, because they haven't gone to confession. (laughs) And children, of course, are far more innocent, so they're more able, perhaps we can say, to go to confession more often, more innocent. (laughs) Though, of course, after a certain age in the Eastern churches, same as in the Latin Rite Church, age seven or eight, the children do make confession. They learn about confession. They receive Holy Communion at their baptism and confirmation, but they do develop into the sacrament of confession later on, as in the Latin Rite. So they develop that conscience and that sense of, of repentance. In going to confession, as I mentioned, we also reflect on ourselves. We perfect ourselves. And that's very much a part of Eastern spirituality, of that ongoing perfection into the image and likeness of God. And there is grace that occurs in the sacrament. There's graces in all the sacraments. So that's why they're so important for us, so indispensable for our lives. They're like the energy source that we need to carry on, to continue this journey of holiness. And then, like all sacraments, all other sacraments, confession then becomes perfected in the Eucharist. That's why it makes so much sense to go to confession prior to Eucharist. Now, I'm not saying we always have to go to confession before receiving Holy Communion. It certainly is the case for more serious sins. But there is something very beautiful about that rhythm, confession and then Eucharist. Eucharist perfects, brings to a certain completion all of the other sacraments. And when we receive Eucharist, there is an emphasis, especially in the Eastern churches, of Eucharist itself also having a certain cleansing power to it. In other words, a power to absolve sins. Now, this does not replace confession, especially for serious sins, but think about it for a moment. Think of the Eucharist as being something like the sun. You know how bright and brilliant the sun is? And sometimes when you leave certain things out in the sun, especially certain colors, eventually those colors will fade in the sun. The sun changes the color of our skin, in fact, during the summertime. The sun will change that which it touches. Think of photosynthesis with plants. Because the sun and its rays emanating from its center are so powerful, so radiant, that they change and affect the things that they strike. Well, it's the same thing with the Eucharist. Think of the Eucharist like the sun. The brilliance of the Eucharist, the light of Christ, that purity goes into our body. It can't help by its nature than to burn out that which is imperfect in us, which would include sin. It's right. Eucharist, in fact, we say that in the prayer in the Byzantine church, prior to receiving Eucharist, we actually say that we receive this for the remission of our sins, for the healing of soul and body. So there's actually a power in the Eucharist to cleanse us of sin. And again, it's not a substitute for confession when we really need it, but it works along with confession by its very nature. So we have the perfection of confession in the Eucharist, as you do with all other sacraments. A little history about confession that might also help us understand why we go to a priest, a man, for confession. That's a tough one for a lot of people to get over. Confession actually evolved in the form that we know it today. 
it was always around in the early church because Christ gave to the apostles the power to bind and loose sins. Remember that from the gospel. Whose sins you shall forgive, they shall be forgiven. Whose sins you shall hold bound, they shall be held bound. So it's very explicit that Christ gave the power to the church, especially through its priests, at that time the apostles, to forgive sins. Well, during the early church, whenever someone was baptized, they came into the faith, it was presumed that they didn't sin after that. They had embraced the faith, they renounced their sins, been baptized, cleansed of sins, they rise to a new person, and they live the life of faith. Well, in reality, what would happen, especially under the pressure of persecution, sometimes people would become weak in their faith. They'd become afraid, and they would deny their faith just to save their lives. And secondly, people at times committed grave sins, like adultery. Unfortunately, we don't give adultery the kind of seriousness that they used to give it back in the time of the Christians. We should still give it that because it's a very serious sin. Well, it was really serious then. And if you committed a sin like that, or you apostatized, you know, ran from the faith under the pressure and fear of your life, you were considered to be then excommunicated. In other words, you excommunicated yourself. The church didn't have to throw you out. The church doesn't throw people out. The church simply affirms what a person has already done. They've excommunicated. They've set themselves outside of the community. And Eucharist is, of course, a symbol and a reality of being one with the community. So we cannot receive Eucharist if we've done something that sets us outside of the community. So this happened during the early church. And the early church was faced with the challenge of, well, what if that person repents and they want to come back into the church? We cannot rebaptize them. You can only be baptized once. So the church had to come up with a way to have this person re-enter the church, but without being baptized again. So they came up with what is also known as a second baptism, in quotes. You can only be baptized once, but this becomes like a second baptism. That's why confession is related to the sacrament of baptism, because it's a cleansing, healing, doing away with sin type of sacrament. And indeed, it developed as a second baptism for those who were baptized but who had left the faith and wanted to return. But what would happen, though, is the person wanting to return could not just go to a priest, give their confession, receive absolution, and be on their way. They had to, especially in these cases of very serious sin, they had to come before the community and ask forgiveness. And they had to do that over time. In fact, they had different stages. They were called kneelers, weepers, standers. Yeah, <laughs> they referred to the different stages. They actually had to stand outside the church while people came in and they wept for their sins. They begged forgiveness from the people going in. And then after a time, they were allowed to come into the church, but they had to kneel. Then after that time, they would be allowed to stand in the church. And finally, they were allowed to come fully into the church. They were received back, but only after they gave one more final confession of their sin before the community and asked to be forgiven and asked back into the community. Now, we think of that today and we're probably taken aback by that, but it shows you how serious the early church took this idea of being in communion with the community in not harming or betraying the community. And this was their way of having a person return back to the community. Well, over time, the church realized, of course, that people commit other kinds of sins which are not as severe, but they still damage their relationship with the community and with God. And there still has to be a healing, a making up, a repairing. 
So the church decided, well, these sins that we commit that are not as serious shouldn't deserve such a dramatic re-entry as to have people come up in front of everybody after a certain time and beg forgiveness to be brought back in. So this is how it evolved that for lesser sins, but ones that are significant nonetheless and need reconciliation, for those sins, the church said, people can just go to the priest. And going to the priest, they're going to the representative of the community, so they're going to the community through him, and they're going to Christ. So the church, once again, as we said before, is that medium, that one who stands between heaven and earth, who represents both the earthly world and the heavenly. So whatever we do with and through the priesthood, we are doing both at the same time to the church or with the church on earth and with God in heaven. That's part of the mystery of the priesthood is that it unites both heaven and earth, the two worlds together. And that's why we must go through a priest for the sacraments, in particular, the sacrament of confession, because we can reconcile with the community on these lesser levels and also in greater levels too. We no longer come before the community for anything. I guess we could if we wanted to, if a church wanted to develop that practice or rediscover it. We could come before the community and beg forgiveness announce what we did wrong. Sometimes it is known, sometimes it's very public. We, of course, see this in public figures because what they do wrong, especially if it's serious, is very public. Gets on the media and so on, and they do have to apologize. So that was a form, what they do today is a form of the old way, the original way of confession. Now, we could still do that, but the church doesn't see it as necessary because we can go through the priest who then represents Christ and the church together. There is so much more to this wonderful sacrament, but we touched on at least part of it. And I hope that from here on out, even after the joy of the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, as you look towards the next feast and the preparation for that feast, that you will consider, if you haven't already, going to confession. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!